we were uh, just having a chat right before this, just following up on some of the, um, uh, following up on some of the uh, what we were talking about last week, and I just think I just think this idea is so powerful. And so I, you were you had uh, asked a question right before we came on here that you had asked to one of your agents. I'd love for you to ask that question. Uh, I would love for you to ask that question here because I think I know that the quality of our life business relationships is determined by the quality of the questions that we ask. So um, what was that? What was that question that you that you have and that you had asked other people? Because I think it's very instructive. Yeah, I asked him and I'll tell you why I asked him after I tell you what the question was, because I was confused by the way he was approaching the business, the way he was building his business was confusing to me because it was a little different than what we teach. And I said, this is actually a regional agency director. And I said, do you see yourself as a small, locally owned, independent business owner? Or do you view yourself as somebody that is running a national company in all 50 states, a big an enterprise. And he, and I thought I was kind of steering him into one answer. And he said, with pride, he said, Oh, definitely a, a locally owned small business owner. And I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, even the way I asked it, I thought there's no other way to answer it. Than a large, but then I realized that, uh, People look at this business differently. They look at themselves differently and who they are. That's their identity. He, his identity is a small, he was, he took pride in it. And, and the reason I asked him that is because he was opening up an office and spending a lot of money to have a retail space, not an, not a training center like you have, Brian, and like I have, but a retail space. And he had this plan of building this local business that is not scalable. That's why I asked him is, what you're doing is not duplicatable. It will not duplicate. He didn't have a problem with that because it fit his identity of being a small locally owned business owner that would have to stay employed by his business forever for it to run. And uh, it's just interesting how people look at themselves and because of the way that you're viewing yourself in this business, it determines how you treat the business and it determines how you have a vision for your business. And, and uh, so I think it's important to have that mindset, the right mindset to approach this business the right way to scale it. Yeah. I think that's so big because the person who sees himself as running a large business is going to do things that see uh, then those people who are just looking at that small business, right? And sometimes we get into this very responsive place where I'm just going to do the work that they tell they tell me to do, and I'm going to see what happens, right? Mm. And as a as a business owner, as a 1099, even just even on the sales side, uh, our our posture at at its best is not responsive; it's generative. It's not waiting for something to happen; it's making it happen, right? And if I have the wrong perspective, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write some business. I'm going to take that commission. I'm going to pay myself first and use what's left over for my business. 
right? And so there's not going to be a necessity there because I'm already taken care of when I know that no matter how good I get this thing, I'm still going to work most effectively and powerfully based on necessity. So and with the right perspective, what we're doing is we're paying our business first, paying ourselves last, and we're creating new levels of necessity in order to rise up to. Because if my financial template, let's say, is at 75000 100000 150000 a year, 200000 a year, whatever it is, my financial template is there based on what I need in order for my house to run. Then once I pay myself that first, I'm not going to work to put that extra money in the account so that we have money to invest in the future. I'm going to put myself into a place um, where uh, where I uh, where I am. Uh, I just get to decide how to move forward. And when it's up to me in the moment, I make my decisions based on feelings and circumstances. When I've pre-made my decision to where we're going, it's going to be based on vision and values. And what I've noticed is vision and values tend to get me where I want to go, whereas feelings and circumstances tend to hold me very close to where I am within a few percentage points. And so that's the way to grow. That's the way that I found to grow this business is create a necessity, pay my business first, live on what's left over. And I like there to be a lot left over, Brad. I love I, I, I love the leftover. You're like, I, I, that's what I want. I want more and more leftover. But in order to grow my business, what that means is I'm going to have to build more and more leverage because I can only get done what I can get done in 40 hours a week. I'm going to grow better and more effective. But when I have another person on my side, now at first it's identifying a, a somebody who I'm in business with, right? And getting that leverage of now there's two of us attacking this business. I tell that story all the time where it's like, I remember when I had my first like running partner out in the business, I was, I was in the field. I was, he, my, uh, this guy, he's in his first couple of months. I'm like, I, he calls me. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? Uh, or he asked me, how's it going this week? I'm like, I'm getting kicked in the teeth, man. I'm, I'm just having a bad week, which in sales, you're going to have good weeks and you're going to have bad weeks. What we hope to do is to even that out over a month. Right. And to, to uh, and to take out any variance in that. He said, man, I am killing it. I, I'm out here. I've got six apps for over six grand. I was, I was like, you know, let me rephrase what I said. I, I, we're having a great week. <laughs> We've got six apps for six grand so far this week, right? And so it starts off there with having having more time because now I didn't just have my 40, 50 hours in a week. I had our 80 to 100 hours in a week. That's a no-brainer, right? That's a no-brainer. But it it all starts with that. It all starts with that vision of a winning team of having what is it going to take for me to get to the next level? Not as it maybe the top is too far away, but the next level in this business. And I had a few things in mind. I was like, I don't want to miss a promotion. I don't want to miss a promotion. I don't want to miss a promotion. That's the first thing. And I want to get I want to get to this next level of leadership, whether that's team leader. Back then we didn't have team leader, but now we have, you know, SNA. Uh, we have uh, then we slingshot. And then we have team leader, key leader on the way up. So I want to, I want to have my sight set on that, be determined to win, and just find out how we're going to do that as we go. But the end is already certain. The process is what we're sorting out and executing on. So I would love for you to talk about that that vision. I remember you using that, um, you using that uh, metaphor of like, uh, or not a metaphor, but an actual experience of how you had built a winning team in the past, and it wasn't like. Hey, join me. We'll see what happens. Maybe you can break that down a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So, so building a winning team, everybody wants to be a part of a winning team, right? Nobody wants to be a part of a losing team. I've been a part of plenty of losing teams in sports and it's discouraging. It's like, this isn't any fun. <laughs> you want to win, right? Everyone wants to be a part of a winning team. The problem in college. So I went to a college that uh, it, the biggest sport there was, was men's volleyball. Um, and it's because it was a really diverse international uh, uh, mix of students. And so a lot of the people from around the world played volleyball. So we, you know, I grew up uh, in high school playing. And the problem with Matt and I is we were, we didn't have the height. We we're like 5'10". And these guys are, you know, the winning team is like 6'3 to 6'7". And uh, so we didn't just accept that and say, well, we're just going to be on the losing team. You know, there was different categories. There's A League, B League, and C League. And A League was the, you know, the most competitive, super competitive. And um, so, you know, we our first year, we joined a team and got to know the players and and did not win. And we hated that. Um, so we decided that we we're gonna try to get onto the winning team. Well, they didn't want us on the winning team because we didn't have the height. <laughs> we weren't the best setter. Um, we were, you know, we were pretty good at setting, pretty good at playing on the, on the court, pretty good at hitting. And so we were like, all right, fine. If we're not going to join the winning team, we're going to create the winning team. And so we, we went to, we knew Brian, that we needed to have the best spiker at the school. The only way we were going to get the best spiker is if we had the best setter. And so we first went to the setter and said, Hey, we're going to, we're, we're, you know, we're talking to this guy and he knew who he was and there were several really good hitters, but we, we nailed the, we nailed the, the, the setter first. Then we went to the hitter and then we went to all the rest of the players and we got literally the best of the best. And the way we recruited Brian is we told him, they're like, who are you guys? And we're like, well, we're the, we're the captain of the winning team. That's who we are. We're, we're the, we will be the winning team this year because we recruited the best talent. We've recruited the best experts in volleyball. And uh, every year after that, we won uh, for four more years. We won the A-League uh, tournaments. And um, it taught us a lot about recruiting in this business. You know, from the very beginning, we decided we wanted to have the winning team. And it's not that, you know, I, I love to win. I don't love to win personally, like individuals. It's just not my personality. I, I love to win as a team because it's not really about me. It's about us together coming together and dominating. And that's fun. It's fun. You got to have that competitiveness. So we kind of approached uh, symmetry the same way. And we, we started recruiting early on and it was funny. I, I thought that's just what you do. Like we, we went to the first corporate overview. I remember you were there, Brian, and you were up front doing the corporate overview and Matt and I decided that that week that, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to go all in with it. We're going to really make a serious effort. And it was about an hour and 20 minute drive from where we live to go to the corporate office. And you guess every Friday you did the corporate overview and you know, in our car we had five seats. So Matt and I were in the front, we had fill fill the seats. Well, that first week, there was, we actually had four people that wanted to go. So we had to take a second car. Now we got four more seats, we had to fill those seats. And so we come into the first week, I think we had like, eight people, <laughs> including Matt and I. And they were like, what in the world? I mean, I remember you saying, what are you guys doing? 
it was funny. The guy that recruited us actually wasn't happy about it. He thought that we were being too aggressive. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, we want to win. We came here to win. We didn't come here just to play. We came here to win. And we wanted to, we wanted to grow fast. I mean, you know, if, it, it's so funny that when people say, when should I start recruiting? Well, when do you want this lifestyle? I mean, do you want it in 10 years, in five years, in a year, or do you want it tomorrow? I wanted it as fast as possible. I wanted the lifestyle that I saw as fast as possible. I was so tired of where I was at. We are so broke. You know, I was so tired of being defeated for so long. I just wanted that lifestyle. And so, you know, we just decided we're not going to care about what everyone thinks about us. You know, if people think that we're growing too fast, okay, let's go. Now we know who we're competing against. <laughs> people have said worse, right? People That's have said right. worse. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of our mentality. Um, building building the winning team. Well, and that's that's the thing is like, well, what if I'm not good at this business, right? What, what so why does why does that mean you can take this off? Uh, you can uh, why does that give you permission to not offer this opportunity to other people? Why, why does where you are? And I, I love that Devin Johnson said that. And it's like, okay, so if you're not good at this and it was going to take you 10 years and you start to build right away and it takes you five years instead, right? We know we're going to cut our timelines because of that duplication leverage and just having other people work with us. And I think that's that, a, you, you bring up, that's such a good point. I want to make sure everybody got that. You don't have to be good at this business to have the winning team. Mm -hmm. The best team in football is not owned by the best player. The best restaurant, I could have the best restaurant in town. I don't have to know how to cook at all. I just have to be able to find the best chef. I have to find the best players. And that's what we did. And, and then we paint a vision. We'd call, we, you know, when I recruited the, the, the first setter for that team, I said, can you imagine having like so-and-so and so-and-so -so right there to set? Can you imagine having this digger? Can you imagine having this guy and this guy? That's what we're going to create. And he said, if you can do that, I'm in. And we go to the next day. Hey, we already got the setter, this best setter. Can you imagine? And so when we came to this business, I would call up people I would never normally reach out to because I thought there's no way they're going to do this. But we still called them anyway. There was a guy I called who owned a company with 3,000 employees doing $100 million a year. I called him to recruit him. Now, he didn't say yes, but I called him because I didn't want to have anyone that was too good for this business. I wanted to call everyone that was on my top, I call it the chicken list, the, the list that everyone has on this call that you're too afraid to reach out to because you think they're going to say no, you're not, they're not going to do it. But I figured, you know what, quality people know quality people. And he may be able to refer me if he if he's not interested, that's fine. It's not a big deal but he might be able to refer me to some really good people. Right. And so that was our, but you don't have to be, you don't have to be the top producer. You don't have to be the top recruiter. You just have to find top people, good quality people. So why are you calling people that just got laid off from Burger King? That's not going to build the winning team. You got to, you got to reach out to talent, people who have experienced success before people who know work ethic because they've, they've earned six figures. I had never done it. I knew people who had, and I'm going to reach out to them. We're, the worst they can say is, no, I'm not interested. Who cares? Why? I'm not going to take that personally. It doesn't hurt my feelings 
to do that. So why not? So I made a list and I reached and I, and I, and I had a process. I had a specific process of, that I was going to take that entire list through. And that's, that's what we did. So. Yeah. And, and listen, that nobody is going to fault you on your team. If you're doing your best. Exactly. That's a, that's a thing. It's like, Oh, well, I'm only, I'm only writing two or 3000 a week. I'm getting to the place where I'm paying my, but are you doing your best? Like, are you doing your best? Like, even if your best right now needs to grow, are you doing your best? Right. Because that's what people want to work with. They want to work with people who are doing their best. It doesn't matter how talented you are. Right. Hard work, uh, how hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Right. It's like that. Don't stop looking at your talent or lack thereof as the as the writing principle. You are going to set the culture of your team through your example. And if you're doing the best and you're putting yourself out there, listen, it's going to inspire other people, too. When when I was running appointments, I would have a I'd have a great appointment. I'm like, somebody wants to do this. Like somebody's better than me at this. When I was having a bad appointment, I was like, somebody loves this. Somebody loves this and they want to do this. Right. And it was like everything was an was an excuse to find my next best person who was going to be way better than me at sales and who was going to come here and do their best as well. Um, So I love that. I love this perspective. Again, we can't, we cannot consistently act in a way that's inconsistent with the way we see ourselves. Right. And sometimes in order to see ourselves in a new way, we've got to create association. And when people think of association, a lot of times they think upline, they think sideline, but really our best association are those people who are on our team. Who are you associating with on your team? Are you bringing them up? Right. Or are you bringing them down or are you waiting for them to bring you up kind of uh, kind of thing? So um, can I it is, can I, uh, can I, I would love, share love an analogy around that? How you see yourself determines how you treat this business. I'll give you I'll give you an analogy. And I use this at the, the Agency Owner Academy. Um, the build, building this business is a lot like farming. It's a lot like agriculture and the. Um, if you if you break down the word agriculture, there's agra and culture. Agra means dirt or ground. And culture, the root word is cult. We know what a cult is. <laughs> a cult is something that's that's unorthodox. It's not normal. It's not normally done this way. And so agriculture means that what's in the ground is not normal. It's not indigenous. It's not natural to that environment. It's planted it's been intentionally planned and so think about how you would treat let's say someone was going to hire you to plant but your job when they say i want you to plant you go into their house and they have a windowsill of pots and they want you to plant in those pots and have a successful uh produce well then somebody else says i want you to plant and they take you to their house and they show you a garden and now you've got this much larger space and then somebody else says i want you to plant and they bring out to their thousand acre farm are you going to treat those projects differently way differently right can you imagine a farmer with a thousand acres so upset that this one plant isn't growing the way he thought it was or is he looking at the whole entire project so some people come to this business and they're so focused as if their garden is a windowsill with some pots on it. It's like, 
you have no process. You haven't thought through this at all. You've got a very short-term vision. Like everything could hinge on a few plants dying and your whole project is a failure. Where I'm looking at seasons, I'm looking at a process. Well, I've never done farming. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people who have and I can reach out and I can learn, right? I can get coaching on how to on how to farm because if I if I'm a farmer, Farmers have a whole different perspective. My father-in-law is a farmer. I live, we live in the house that he built 25 years ago. My wife grew up in. It's in the middle of their 400 acre farm. He's got cattle. He had chickens. He had, he grows hay and everything is planned out years in advance. He's got a vision years in advance. And he also understands that every season has a different work work in that season. There's a planting season, there's a nurturing season, there's a harvest season, and then it repeats itself. And that was part of my problem, Brian, early on when I came here, is I thought there was only one of each. I thought it was just one cycle. I thought, okay, I'm in my planting season. Eventually, I'm going to be in my nurturing, then I'm going to have my harvest, and I've arrived. I'm here. But my harvest wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be, so I had to go back into my planting season again. And then have another har- harvest and it still it was much better that second harvest was way better than my first one but then i had to go back in because it wasn't the one it wasn't the harvest i came here for it wasn't the harvest that gave me the lifestyle that i wanted the time freedom and so i had to do it again another planting season another another and i realized this is just life this is the way that life is we have to be okay with these seasons, and we have to know what season we're in so that we can know the work that has to be done in that season. If I think I'm in my harvest season, but it's really planting season, I'm not going to do the work that I need to in that season. People get so caught up with, what do I need to learn down the road? Don't worry about that. That's not your season. Focus on just the very simple things, the basic things that you need to be successful in the season that you're in, because the next season's coming. But having that mentality of what am I growing here? Am I growing a small garden? If that if that's what you want, that's okay. It's a hobby. You're not going to have a business out of a garden. You'll have nice vegetables. It'll be it'll be nice. It'll enhance your dinner. Sometimes we have a nice garden, but it's not a business. If I want a business, I've got to have processes, and I can't get my feelings so attached to little plants that are part of my thousand acre farm. Right. So having that mentality, think about I'm, I'm I'm trying to get you to think ahead. Like if you were to do that, what would you have to do in order to have a successful harvest? If you were coming into farming, you've never done it before. You're going to have to have processes spelled out. So like Jesse last week asked, how do I how do I not how do I keep going when I'm recruiting and I'm not getting the results and I get frustrated and I, I just want to quit? Well, if I was planting a garden, I might have that mentality. But when I'm farming, I'm trying to look at what processes do I need to have in place that right now, I'm going to wear the hat, I'm going to do the planting, I'm going to do all the work. But it's not so that I can do it forever. It's so that I can create processes that I know will work. And then I can hire someone to replace myself to do that process. And I'm going to do it in different areas of the business. I'm going to do it with recruiting. I'm going to do it with selling. I'm going to do it with dialing and setting appointments. Everything that I do in my business has to have a process and I have to be able to teach it. 
And I have to be okay that that next person in line is not going to be as good as me, but that's okay because you talked about this, Brian, at the AOA Academy. I have 40 hours in my week, but when I hire somebody else, now I got 80. I hire another person. Now I've got 120 hours in my business working for me. Now I've got a fourth person. That's 160 hours. So even if that replacement isn't quite as good as me, it's allowing me to go do other things that are more profitable with my time. That's how you run and scale the business. So good. So good. I want to, uh, I want to open it up for, uh, for Q and a uh, just, yeah. Uh, because I know there's a lot of folks who, uh, may not necessarily have the chance to communicate with you and to pick your brain. And I just, uh, I know how much gold I've gotten in our relationship and just getting to grow right beside you, getting being challenged by your growth and then feeling like I'm winning sometimes. And then, oh, yeah. then you guys shoot and then we go back and forth. And I just, uh, I've gotten to grow this business with you, but a lot of these folks have not had the opportunity. So um, yeah. who, who's got the, uh, who's got the first question? And, and remember, timid salespeople, their, their children are underfed. It's, it's not a good, it's not a good, right? I'll go. Hey, Brad. Go for it. Uh, Jake Davis, direct to Brian Delaney. Uh, Brad, I know you guys have always focused on warm market. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Um, it seems like our agency is leaning a little, little, more towards warm than cold. Um, obviously, a mixture of both. But I, I love what you've had to say about that in the past. Um, could you could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, let me tell you why I like warm market better. We do both. Also, we've got a ton of cold market in our agency, but we're definitely way more heavy on warm market. Um, I personally have never recruited anybody from cold market. Everybody I ever recruited was somebody that I met, either I knew him before, or they are a friend of a friend, or they were somebody I used to go to school with or church with or whatever it was. And um, one thing that I like about it is if I don't like the person, I don't have to call them, I don't have to work with them. <laughs> so I can just reach out to the people that I like, and I want to work with. And, uh, you know, I can, I also know their the track record, at least a little bit. But when I reach out to them, here's the thing, guys, people are people. 95% of people are not happy with what they do. It's, it's, it's a pretty accurate percentage. I don't know the exact, it's about 95%. There's something they're not happy with. They, they either aren't making the money they want to make. They don't have the security. They don't have the, uh, the time freedom. They're overworked. They're, they're underappreciated. They don't like the people they work with. They don't like their boss. They feel like they're, they're at a ceiling. They're not growing. They don't have the, the growth capacity. There's something that almost everyone is not happy with. And I, I always said there's, there's almost with every single person, if you talk to them on the right day, there's 365 days in the year, there is a right day for almost everyone. <laughs> almost everyone is a right day. It's all about timing. It's not that they're the right or wrong person. It's that there's just not the right or wrong time for them. And so that's why it's important when you do reach out, to just continue to reach out, let them know how you're doing. Um, but I would just reach out and find out how they're doing. There's people I hadn't talked to in 15 years. Nate Offert's one of them. I hadn't talked to him in 15 years. I would his agency last month at over seven hundred thousand dollars. 
It includes Marlon Faulkner, Derek Brock. There's a whole bunch of agency owners that I never would have on my team if I hadn't reached out that one day, that one hour, that one minute that I almost didn't hit send. Think about that. And I did it anyway. I hit send. I talked to him. It took me about two months to recruit him. I got him on the phone with Edward Pritchett. I got him on the phone with Casey Watkins. I got him on the phone with probably five different people. And it was a slow process of reeling him in. And I finally got him. And then that wasn't it, though. I then had to dig into his warm market because he didn't have the confidence that I had in this business to reach out by himself. That's where most people, I think, mess up. Gold is always mined. It's never on the surface. You have to dig for it. You have to dig for diamonds. Anything of value doesn't sit on the surface. It's got to be mined. And so I knew that as much as I wanted Nate to be on board, he wasn't on board. Even though he said yes, even though he got his license, even though he got contracted, he wasn't on board to really build this business. So I said, get me on the phone with your top 10. Who can I talk to? He got me on the phone with his top 10 in his first two or three days. I recruited nine of them. One of them was Marlon. One of them was Ron Williams. Both are AOs. Marlon's now a 120. Then I got on the phone with Marlon. Marlon, get me on the phone with your top 10. Derek Brock was one of them. Derek, get me on the phone with your top 10. I'm waiting until I find the anchor, the ace, the guy that's like the, the guy or the lady that's just going to tear this up. That's who I'm working with. I'm not working with just my front level. Guys, you can do this with cold market. I, I would do it. In fact, to me, that is the value of cold market is getting into their warm market. Because again, gold is always mined. Like it's, it's really hard to find a really good quality person on Craigslist, on ZipRecruiter. It's, it's really hard. They're out there. We've, we've got some people on our team. But I'll tell you what, if you get a six, let's say it's a, out of 10, a 10 being like Brian Delaney is a 10. He's a 10. Like how many would want a Brian Delaney on your team, right? Yeah. One on each one on each leg, right? <laughs> but Brian probably wouldn't answer an ad a recruiter. But but there might have been somebody who is a 6. A 6 can't recruit a 10. They don't have enough influence. But a 6 can help recruit a 7 if they get him on the phone with an expert. And so then 7, and then I say to the 7, "Get me on the phone with your top 10." He's going to only be able to recruit an eight. An eight can only recruit a nine. A nine can recruit a Brian Delaney. That's why you've got to dig and dig and dig. And that's the power of warm market recruiting. So even if you're doing cold, do both. Do warm market recruiting with it. That's the, this is the most valuable thing of any recruit. The contacts in their phone. That's the most valuable thing. Every single deck of cards has four aces. Every single deck of cards has four kings. You might say, I don't have a good warm market. Yes, you do. That is an excuse. It's a cop-out. It is an excuse. Everybody has. It is a proven fact that the average person by the age of 21 knows a thousand people by their first name. A thousand. If you're older than 21, you know more than a thousand. It might take, you might have not talked to them in 15 or 20 years. I hadn't either. There were people I reached out to I had not talked to since grade school. So what? Who cares? What if they say, eh, no thanks. Worst case scenario, this is my mentality when I reached out to them. 
My number one goal is I want to help them. So that's my mindset. I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for them. I've found something that will help them. If they're part of the 95% that are not happy, I have something to help them with. But number two, if it's not the right timing, I reconnected with an old friend. I hadn't talked to him forever. What's wrong? What's what? How is that a bad thing? That's the worst case. Best case scenario, I help them. Worst case scenario, I reconnect with an old friend. I don't, it's not a bad. So to me, that was my mentality that I'm just going to make a list. I'm going to go through this process. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to show a video. I'm going to get them on a phone with a three-way. And I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to build this thing. <laughs> that's, that was, so that's, that's the way I would do it, Jake. It's just, you first of you got to have the right mindset, but reach out to the, to the aces. Don't reach out to the twos and the threes. And do you want is that what you want your team to look like? Those are the easy ones. Go after the ones that are a little bit of a challenge. What if it takes you a couple months? Mike Colbert took me two years. I reached out to Mike. Wasn't the right timing. Two years later, timing was right. And now, last month, his agency did over five hundred thousand. I just, I just want to be clear about what you're talking about here because, I, I, like, it's so easy to miss. You're reaching out to them for their benefit. You're not sure if the, you're, you're pretty sure that they're the right kind of person. You're not, you're pretty sure that who they are is right. You're not sure that when they are is right. Exactly. Right? So. So you're, you're sure that who they are is right. You're not sure that when they are is right, but you took, it took two years of you putting this opportunity in front of Mike Colburn mm -hmm. to get to a place where he's making 40 or $50,000 a month. He's able to be more present at home. He's able to be more fulfilled in his career and he's got the money so he can think about experiences for his family rather than expenses. And he's got, he's got this affirmation here that he can come and kill it. You didn't decide how well he was going to do with this business, but you also didn't decide how poorly he was going to do with this business. You simply provided him with the same opportunity you had, which was to take a look at this and to make a decision for himself. Make a decision for himself and uh, look at that value add. And sometimes we sometimes we get so frustrated because I, I love what you're saying. We reach out to the projects rather than the partners. We reach out to the people who can help rather than who we'd like to work together with. Right. It's like, Oh, I can help this person. It's like, Oh, drop the phone, drop the phone. Right. It's like, this is a, this is an opportunity for us to lock arms and for us to run, for us to run this together. And the, the we're not sure what the eventual value add, but if somebody owns their owns their career, right. Determines where they're going to go into business is layoff proof and has the opportunity to increase their income and build a business where today you can make more money per hour in production than ever before. I was just talking with Rachel Jernigan about this uh, last week. We we're sitting out to dinner and she was like, she was like, this is crazy. Like she went from like, this is hard to like, this is crazy. Like from on the production side. And I, I love that. And we see so many people in that place, but it's it, it, like, if they say no, they're, they're, they're just making a decision. We reach out to the next person, the next person, right? But it, it was, you know, if if I hadn't asked, uh, if I hadn't asked somebody who they knew, who they could get me on the phone with, I would have never talked to Jordan Hunt. And if I didn't ask Jordan Hunt who he could get me on the phone with, we would have never talked to Devin Johnson. We would have never talked to Gino Locklear. We would have never talked to Aaron McLean. We would, we're talking about $400,000 in production per month. We're talking about watching somebody go from 
from making 40,000 a year in the life insurance business to watch them go to 40,000 a month, watching their life freaking change. And listen, the timing wasn't perfect because busy people, effective people typically are busy. Jordan had a, a trucking business that he was gonna run. He was in the midst of building a trucking business. He had his hands, uh, like productive people, they typically have a lot of irons in the fire. But he proved to himself that this was the right fire. That this was the right fire. He wanted to, he wanted to come work it. And I just think it's it's so powerful not to rob people of the opportunity to make a decision for themselves because where they where a decision is where a decision is available, right? Commitment can happen for them. And we don't determine that, they do. We just give people the opportunity, right? And they sort themselves out. So I it's 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 so powerful what you know, just a simple act of reaching out. Imagine if Edward Pritchett, I can't even imagine my life if Edward yeah. Pritchett didn't reach out to me. Like, I'm so thankful that he didn't think about himself and like, well, what if he says no? What if I didn't have the opportunity to say yes? Right? That's heartbreaking to think about in my life. Like, what if he didn't, what if he never gave me the opportunity to say yes? That Well, the last, the last, if he would have said to himself, well, the last insurance company I brought him into, I know how good that insurance, it wasn't that good right? I can't do that to him again, right? He offered this opportunity to me before his first month was up. In Like before he had gotten through his first month of production, he offered this and he needed to offer it to me five different times before I was ready. Not before this opportunity was, but before I was. I mean, it's perfect example is Marlon. When Nate reached out to him, Nate had already recruited him in the past to do something else that he failed miserably at. He was no good. Mar Marlon was still on his list, though. He still reached out to Marlon and didn't realize that Marlon had been sleeping on friends' couches for eight months. That's where Marlon was when he got that phone call. Since then, he has found his purpose. Forget about the money. He has found his purpose. He didn't realize that God gave him a gift to speak into people's lives and to to build belief, like, I mean, I've never seen anyone that has that gift like he does. He can move people. And he never even knew he had it in him until he came into this business because Nate called him. What a gift. I mean, I can't even imagine where he would be at if Nate had, hadn't had the courage just to pick up the phone call and hit send. That's all it is to change somebody's life. And it's up to them. Like you said, Brian. We're not forcing them to do anything. It's it at least they have the choice though. So yeah, good question. Absolutely. So uh, Samantha Nelson put out there. Um, you mentioned sending a message out. Is there something specific you are sending out to initiate to get the conversation started? Well, my goal was just to get on a fifteen minute phone call and to catch up and see how life is going for them. So if that's your mentality, what would you say? Here's what I said. Like if it's a Facebook direct message and I don't have your cell phone, I'm, I'd say, Hey, Brian, just scrolling through Facebook and found you hadn't talked to you in forever. I'd love to catch up and see how life's going. If it's on my cell phone, I have the number. Hey, I was just scrolling through my contacts and I came across you. I realized I haven't talked to you in forever. I'd love to catch up and see how life's going. I mean, that's it. That's, mm -hmm. that's all I'm trying to do is get on the phone and just see how, how life's going. For yeah. <laughs> it's that simple. Don't complicate it. Because yeah. once you get in a phone call, you know, I, I would talk about their family, 
you know, I always say form, F-O-R-M, family, occupation, recreation, motivation. I'm looking for their motivation. I'm looking for a pain point. And if I'm talking about family, I may, they may say that, you know, I don't get to see my kids very much because I work too much. If I'm talking about occupation, they may tell me that they don't have enough free time. They don't make enough money. I'm looking, I'm, I'm kind of digging for that pain point. But, but initially, I'm just catching up to see how life's going. So when I'm talking about their family and work, it's, it's a natural conversation. It's not awkward. It's just a comfortable conversation. And I let them know what I'm doing, what I'm working on, and um, just go from there. Pretty yeah. simple. Yeah. And, and listen, the, the opportunity in that conversation is there. Just don't just get yourself out of a selling mentality, get yourself into a connecting mentality. Exactly. And, it, and if the, and then you, and it's not like, oh, well, I'm we're waiting for this other shoe to drop it. You might hear them say, oh, I love my job. I've got, you know, I'm making the money that I've got, man, that's awesome. It's great. That's, 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 that's awesome that you do. But, but there are currently, currently right now, there's over 4 million people who are in sales, who are dissatisfied with their, uh, the position they're in. And it's probably more than that. This was a year ago. Those statistics were there. 4 million people who are in direct sales in the U.S. economy who, who do not like their job, who are dissatisfied with what they're doing. So the likelihood that the person you're talking to is one of those 4 million or so many other people who aren't even in this position. I was running a construction business before this. You know, who aren't in this position, who could, who are open to other opportunities because the path they're on, they just can't see a future that they desire. So I, I know, uh, Pearlie, you, uh, you, uh, you um, have raised your yeah. hand here. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, can you hear me okay? Gotcha, loud and clear. Cool, and Brad, let me, Brad, let me just start with a, a, a massive amount of gratitude this afternoon, okay? I'm, I'm calling you from LaGuardia. I'm, I'm looking at, we just spent three days uh, staying in Times Square, generating the marathon over the weekend. And, you know, I, I've told you this before, I wasn't attracted to Brian at first. Right. I was attracted to you and your brother. It, it was the, the first, the first time, the first time I met Brian, I wanted to fight him because he had just come off like the grand Canyon for two months and, and I was dying and I was broken, broken. And that was the last thing I wanted to hear, but you and, you know, you and Matt, um, you, you let me redream. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really, really grateful for both of you. Um, just, you just really grateful for both of you, man. And uh, so uh, a question for me is, as, as we in our agency, as we're getting ready to break out uh, one, possibly two agency owners here in the next 60 days, my, my question for you is, how did you do that back then where um, like you were giving people the freedom to build their own agencies with their own processes, as you were talking about processes earlier, versus like, hey, this is how we're going to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like Brian's always been really good about letting us kind of yep. kind of do our thing and then reining us back in or or this that collaboration that we all have. What did that look like for you guys on that side? Yeah, you definitely can't force it. I mean, there was things that I wanted to try, Matt wanted to try, and we learned the hard way. We realized why symmetry doesn't do it that way. <laughs> and sometimes you just have to let people fail. So there's this balance between them taking ownership in their processes, and then also failing and realizing if they're strong enough to not quit after that. So I would still coach them and say, it's far, and this is straight from Casey Watkins' mouth, I could not agree with him more. 
it's far more important to have a unified process than the best process. Every you think about all the top producers. If you if every if they did a call every Wednesday, and every top producer taught what they did, and it was different from the last guy. It was different. It was different. It was different. It was different. It was, and it's like, I don't know what to do now. This guy's doing this. This guy's doing that. If everyone is saying, "Here's what I did," and it's the same. You're going to get movement in the team if you don't have unity in the processes. You will not get movement. People will freeze. They don't know what to do. They get overwhelmed. So I coach people on this, and there's still some strong pioneers in my team who still wanted to go do things completely different. Okay, that's fine. You do them differently. Just make sure that your team does them the same. And then this team, they can do it the same if they're big enough. But if they're going to be a part of our calls and they're, you know, because a lot of people, just because they're an AO, they're not ready. They're not ready to go do everything on their own. They're just not. They're, there's too much that they have not learned. They have not failed enough. I'm telling you from personal experience, they've not failed enough to realize all the mistakes. And so they're to have to keep the agency owners together, at least I think, Brian, you may disagree, but at least until they're 120. Once they're at 120, I say they're they've gone through enough experiences to kind of have some good solid direction. But just coaching people on the importance of having a unified message and a unified process versus the one that you think is the best and it's different from everyone else. That's that's great. That's great. I think ownership is key. And I wouldn't I wouldn't have felt that same level of ownership if there weren't uh, times where I had gone through those trials. Like how how many times, Brad, did we over the years we got on the phone and we we kind of did did our own thing and then came back to the script and realized, oh, my gosh, why was I there was so much psychology. There were so many things that were in that, like trying to get, oh, man, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a Dropbox for people. I'm going to give them everything that they need because Edward didn't give me everything I needed. I still had to search around. And so I'm going to give them everything that they need. Right. And then we try to make it easier for people. We try to make it easier. We don't realize that that struggle is what's going to create the success. Like you said, gold's not on the ground. Oil's not typically spilling up out through the earth. Can't find, you have to mine for, you have to mine for diamonds, right? You And it's because it's, they're in pressurized environments, right? And so being in that place where it's like, don't try a bunch of things, own it for a season, see how it works out and then look to see it because there have been uh, like, well, Casey probably didn't run into this and that's why he didn't set it up this way. And, uh, you know, six months later, I was like, no, Casey ran into this and that's why he set it up this way. <laughs> like this, Brandon did this because of that. And it's so, because this business is really so simple. And if it seems very complicated, if this business seems very complicated, it's because I haven't gotten to the simple truths, mm, right? And, so and that- and because because if otherwise we're just making a millimeter of progress in a million directions, we're never applying enough pressure that's going to create change and winning, right? It's it, it's just it's not going to go there, or we're avoiding the struggle that's going to make us better. So um, I think that's I think it's so big. And then just and we we always say like in the beginning we're going to do the most work in in your business. You have to go out and provide the example of you doing your best. And then leverage your mentor to do interviews for you. You don't know how to do an interview. Leverage your mentor to do that, right? But the more of our work that you start doing, the more of our money you get paid. And the more of the work that I do, like, I want you to do more of my work so you can get my money. And I'm going to do more of Edward's work so I can make his money. 
you're going to like my money. I'm going to like Edward's money. And we're going to continue to move up there because it's a neat game of follow the leader. And, you know, I'm, I'm really fond. I'm really fond of being in that position where I've got more money and more time. Right. And, and that's, it's, it's such a powerful deal to get in that game of follow the leader, but either way, own it. Don't just follow a system and blame somebody else when it doesn't work the first time you do it. Right. It's, um, but I, I see that. And it's like, people do need to try their own things, but I want to create structures in the beginning. I want to create directions in the beginning. I don't want to give them so much freedom that they're going to walk out in traffic. Right. Exactly. So that, yeah, I love what you're saying there. Um, yeah. Who's got the next question? More of a epiphany than a question, Brad. Thank you so much for being on this call. This is Rachel Jernigan, direct yeah. to Brian Delaney. Whoa, back to the simplicity of what got us in here in the first place. You know, if you've ever been around Meredith Ellison for two minutes, she doesn't stop recruiting. All of a sudden, this thing's washing over me. We don't even have to make this so complicated. She literally never stops. Any person she sits next to, she starts doing exactly what you just said. She starts asking about their family, their occupation. How's that going? All she's doing constantly is looking for the thread of discontent. If they're happy, she moves on, but she literally never stops. And so my, my light bulb moment is, are we seeing this as our business? And then when we're outside of it, we're not in it. Whereas for her, if you love it, right, there's this whole idea with your children education. If you your family should be at school. Your school should be at your home. It's, it's, it's this thing that never stops. And the same thing with this business. If we love it, if we're truly passionate about it, then we're always in it. We're not turning it off and moving over back over into our own personal social life. And then all of a sudden I'm realizing I should be talking to everyone like this all the time. So true. <laughs> I can't wait. No, I'm not in this. <laughs> That's yep. awesome. Very, That's very awesome. true. So good. And Kath, uh, Catherine, um, just reach out to your mentor. For, uh, they're they're going to have, uh, as far as uh, hiring ads uh, on the cold market right now, we're, we're definitely talking about warm, uh, warm market, but cold market is important. And just think of the things that resonate with you. What was it? If you came in here cold market, what resonated with you? Because that's going to resonate with the people that you know and that you're like. Right. And uh, but talk to your mentor about that for sure. We we do have some. They are available and we can get we can make sure that you get those without a doubt. We want to help you start today so that you've got the people on your team pushing with you to that next level. So um, who's got the next question? If I can go. Awesome. Hi, Brad. It's Amanda Redloff, direct to Brian Delaney. Um, I love what you said. How you see yourself is how you treat this business. That is so huge. Um, and I know Brian has walked us a lot through the self-identity piece. And so I was just kind of curious for you personally, if there was anything that you either read, listened to, right? I'm assuming in the beginning when you're going through a failed business, right? Kind of on the brink of bankruptcy, all these things what were some of the things that you were absorbing in that time to get you to that place? That's a great question. Um, so yeah, I read books, I watched videos, I surrounded myself with successful people. I emulated a lot. I didn't have the confidence and I didn't have the experience. So I borrowed it. 
I borrowed other people's confidence and I borrowed their experience. <laughs> if I didn't like, I'll give you an example, go back to the analogy of the farming. If I, if that was now my role, I'm now a farmer. I've got a thousand acres. I've never done this before. What would a farmer do? How would a farmer act? How would a farmer? I mean, just ask literally just asking what would Brian Delaney do in this conversation? What would Brian Delaney do? What would he say? How would he cover this objection? Just literally putting yourself in that position. That's what I did. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't. And, and so I, I borrowed it. Other people, I had a couple of people in my mind that I thought, man, if I could just be like them. And the more you do it, the more you become like them. And you just surround yourself with those kind of people. And it helps. Um, a book that really, and I say this all the time, people probably get here to me saying it, but E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. I've read it three different times. Every time I've gotten something totally different out of it. And it was at different phases in my growth phase, in my growth in, in business. Um, but in one week, this is back before in another business I had. In one week, I had my business coach recommend this book. I had another guy that was making probably 200 grand a month recommend this book. And then I had a guy that owns half of Greenville, South, South Carolina, a bank, uh, billionaire probably, or close to it. All three of them in the same week said, you've got to read this book. You've got to understand what it is to be an entrepreneur. And, and what he talks about in that book is having this vision of what you want your business to look like in five years. What staff are you going to have to employ? What roles? What? And then you start modeling out the business in all the things that are going to have to happen, all the process. So it just got my mind because we're not taught this in school. We were taught for 14,000 hours of education on how to be a great employee. We were taught math, science, history, English. And then we graduated the next grade and we thought we were going to learn how to make money. And at least I did. And then it was math, science, English, history. And then we went to high school and it was math, science, English, history. And then I we went to college, math, science, English, history. When am I going to learn how to be an entrepreneur? When am I going to learn how to run a business? You're not because they don't know how to do it. If they did, they would be doing it. The ones who know how to run multi-million dollar businesses aren't, they're not, they, you know, teachers are the most under, underpaid profession that them and nurses, my wife's a nurse practitioner. And, uh, but the thing is they, you cannot teach somebody how to do something that you've never done before. You've got to go to the source. You've got to go to people who have done it before and learn from them. And you have to be courageous enough to just put yourself out there and be a beginner, you know, and, and you got to start just again, borrowing those that are, that you want to be like those that have the success, borrow their, their experiences, borrow their, Demeanor, just think about what would Brian Delaney do? I asked that so many times. Every level that I would level up, I'd be back into my outside of my comfort zone. And then I have to go back. What would Edward Pritchett do? What would Brian Pope do? So having that to me, that that's how I that's how I ended up growing and building, the, you know, that self-confidence. So I I I think what you said, there's a, so much in what you said, that emulating idea, not what I would do here because those decisions are going to keep me here, right? But what do they do there, right? What is the person who I'm trying to become? What would they do in this moment? Not what do I feel like doing? So uh, so big. The, um, the other thing that I heard is just the conditioning that we receive. Understand that we've been conditioned, right, to 
to, uh, you know, you get, you get taught math. Well, you need to know, you, you need to be able to do the math about how, how much your taxes are going to get taken out and how little you'll have left around retirement, right? You have to, you have to be able to read the employee manual. You've got to, you've got to be able to do that and understand that right now, if you're in a position where you're writing 2,500 to 3,000 a week, it's, it's fine, but just understand your, your, your employee conditioning is trying to push you back into being an employee. Don't let that be the place where you end up. That's okay to be there right now, but just don't let that be the place where you end up because that's just the conditioning saying it's okay to settle, right? And the thing that happens right after settling, right, is stopping. Is stopping. So don't let that conditioning do that. Right now, Brad, we're we're in a business that's going to pass a trillion dollars in revenue. People are buying insurance more now than ever before, right? And they they see the need for it because of COVID, right? It's happening. And you know, what do you see for uh what do you see as the vision for uh for this industry? And that's available to each person who's on this webinar over the next, over the next, let's just call it three to five years. One thing I love about the leaders of this company is they're thinking that they're thinking, where is it? Where are things moving? No, not where are they today, but where are they going? And, you know, you said it, um, there, there were, there have been more millionaires created in the last five years from the insurance industry than any other industry. By far, it's number one. Number two is technology. And we happen to do both. And here's the here's the biggest opportunity that I see in our space is here's the largest industry that has created more millionaires who's probably the furthest behind when it comes to technology than any other industry. They are the slowest to, to change, but COVID helped that. They realized we've got to, you know, you and I, Brian, when we started this business, we were faxing applications to the carriers. This was not 20, 30 years ago. This was nine Nine years ago, we were still faxing applications to carriers. I didn't even know people used fax machines, you know, in 2013, 2014, 2015. It was ridiculous. And, uh, you know, e-apps were like this. Every other industry, everybody's got e-apps. And we're, we're so excited about e-apps. But now we're, you know, we're virtual, where people, uh, people want convenience far more than they want cheap price. If you look at the reason that people buy anything, they do studies that say, why did you buy this product? Not intra anything. Price is not in the top 10. It's not in the top 10. Number one is convenience, or number one is actually, I like the person that I worked with, but number two is convenience. And a lot of times, if we, if we, could, if we could buy something without having to even work with anybody, we would do that. That's where things are headed, but we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. And you know, to me, it's like, I, I'm looking at what I'm doing in this business, like, like fishing. I'm again, similar comparison. I'm not, I don't have one fishing pole. I don't have 10 fishing poles. I'm not just using a net. I am building a fleet, a fleet of fishing boats, all who are using nets and fishing poles and everything possible. That's, that's the way I'm looking at this business. And so when I recruit somebody, I'm recruiting somebody who can be a captain of a, of, a, of, a, of a ship or a fleet because the wave is coming. It is coming. It's a massive wave. And the ones who catch it, like there's going to be a lot of people who don't swim hard enough. If you, the, the surfing analogy, you, if you're not swimming hard enough, the wave will go right under you. You'll pass it by and you'll say, I would have, could have, should have. You'll tell the stories to your grandkids about how you were a part of 
this Amazon of a company, this Apple or a Google of an insurance company. I was a part of it, but I missed the wave. I won't have that conversation with my grandkids. I'm going to say, they're going to say, how did, how were you the one who changed this family tree? That's what they're going to ask. How was it that we went from, you know, your parents and grandparents being dirt poor to all of a sudden this massive change, generational change. And it's because I saw the opportunity being at the right place at the right time is not enough. There's plenty of people who are at the right place at the right time. It's not enough. We got to swim hard. This is the time to capture as much market share as possible because this it is inevitable. It's it's not a, a matter. And I'm not talking about just symmetry. I'm talking about this change in the industry that's coming. And we are, there is no one else uh, that's pioneering like symmetry is. There isn't another company. So that's what, why this opportunity is so big. Like I can see this change coming. We are the only ones going for it. It's, it's, it's a done deal. It's just a matter of time now. And, and that's what I want to be a part of. So that's what I see coming in our future. It's, it's so, it's so wild. I was like, is insurance, uh, is insurance like in mortgage protection? Is that a great idea? By the time everybody thinks that what you're doing is a great idea, it's no longer a great idea. It's no longer a great idea. It's a reality. You're, you're, you're getting there when everybody else does, right? Be determined to make it a great idea, right? Is this the right decision? By the time everybody thinks that it was the right decision, it's already too late. You got to make it the right decision, right? Don't let the conditioning push you back to where you already know what's going to happen. Allow, allow your positioning to push you in a direction where you don't know how good it can get, how good it can get. Let, let's go. Don't the first step. Don't show up to the next call in the same place you are today. For the help desk call tomorrow, don't show up there. Don't show up there as the same person in the same place. Go out and get a result. Go out and read 10 pages. Go out and do massive activity. Go out and do the thing that you had already written off. They're like, oh, I didn't set up enough appointments this weekend. That's okay. That was then. This is now. What's right now? What's right now? And what's right now is the opportunity of a lifetime. It's opportunity of a lifetime. Let's let's go get it. Let's go grab it. Let's go work it. Let's go make it. Let's go make it a great idea before everybody else figures it out. Let's make switchboard a great idea before everybody else figures it out. Let's make FIF resets a great idea before everybody figures it out. Let's make what we're doing today a great idea because when everybody figures it out, you're going to want them on your team. You're going to want them on your team. And, and so let's reach out to those people. Don't let's not steal the opportunity from other people because of our lack of posture, because we're listening to the conditioning. Let's put ourselves in the position to receive and give the most value possible to everybody who's in our circle of influence. Thank you all. Grateful to be in this business. Fired up. Brad, thank you so much for the, these two weeks you've invested in us and our team. I always learn so much getting to hang out with you. Always get pushed. Always, always like I'm on, I'm, I'm going to go walk on the beach. <laughs> I'm going to go do a JR field. They go plan a sign in the sand. <laughs> I, hiring today. Let's change, let's change things. Let's change things. The top, listen, it's high tide. We're in season. Let's go. Thank you all. Thank you.